Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ruler Magazine Tech Podcast. I am your host, Dan Cavallari, joining you once again from Colorado, where it is finally turning to fall. And, you know, as always, I'm sitting here in my garage and I'm I, one of the one of the wonderful things about working in my garage is that I get to stare at my bikes all day long. And in a sense, you know, that that just looking at a bike in my mind just tends to make me happy. So you can just kind of sit there and look at them and feel good and remember rides and all that. And I spend a lot of time talking to people about how bikes are made and and how we're supposed to feel about them when we're riding them and, and you know what kind of ride characteristics we're supposed to to understand as we're riding. But there's so so much more to a bike than that. And I think there's a lot of it is is aesthetic. We want to look at a bike and see this beautiful thing that we've we've purchased. Uh, and and that's part of just falling in love with your bike. And touching on that, I mean, you also want it to ride well and you want to uh, have a have a wonderful ride every time. It's got to feel right. It's got to be uh, a, a tool that's going to help you win a race or complete a ride. And and I think that's a weird balance uh, to strike for any bike designer to make something that's not only beautiful but also useful and and taking advantage of all the top tech out there. And so if you stumble upon something like BMC's uh, masterpiece collection of bikes. Uh, that sort of strikes the right balance. Uh, these are Halo products, but they are gorgeous. And they uh, have taken every uh, pain to make sure that this is the the perfect bike that you could possibly buy. That's just going to be that one thing that you look at it, that lustworthy bike that you look at and can say, that thing is a piece of, of art. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about what goes into creating a masterpiece. Uh, and so on the on the line right now, I've got Stefan Christ, who's head of R&D at BMC. But if you're in the know, it's not Stefan, it's Stifu. <laughs> How are you, Stifu? Hello, Dan. Thanks for having me. I'm great. Thanks. Yeah, Stifu, I always I, I feel like I pester you about once every couple months to do a podcast. and <laughs> We're always talking about uh, wonderful things that, that BMC is doing. Um, and one of the things that just recently came out was the Team Machine SLR masterpiece. Now, I encourage a lot of you guys to just go right now and just look at this bike. It is just really stunning. And part of that is sort of the silhouette of it. You know, it's just this really beautiful silhouette of a bike. It's got that aggressive, fast look to it. I'm guessing, Stifu, that there's probably more to it than that. Can you explain a little bit what the masterpiece is uh, and, and what goes into making a masterpiece bike? 
Yeah, I mean, primarily Masterpiece is a production method that is very exclusive. And it's uh, something that we have strived for for many, many years. And in essence, it's a production uh, method that allows us to make a one-piece frame uh, out of carbon that doesn't need any surface coating or finishing. So basically, you open the mold, you take the product out, and here is your frame. So in other, in other manufacturing processes that are monocoque construction, you know, it's just a one-piece frame, but then you have to finish it, you have to sand, you have to, you know, get rid of imperfections. How do you guys get around that? How do you, how do you perfect that, that process? Of course, I cannot uh, tell all the, all the details, but in the end, it's just, I would say, a matter of trying very hard and find the right uh, partners that are also working in the same, same direction. Um, in essence, in traditional manufacturing, I think it's just that we want to produce too many bikes at a time. So we take shortcuts and, of course, making carbon frames in multiple pieces is just an easier way to do, especially in mass production. Um, but if you take away all those boundaries and you just do what technology allows you to do, then you can do a frame, a road uh, racing frame that is uh, basically... Uh, one-piece construction so there is no connections and in essence it's the it's the connections that typically um, then make you to finish the frame and to sand at least on on those areas and uh, yeah you just have a lot of finish work that we can skip with the masterpiece uh, process which i think is a very uh, yeah it's really the pinnacle of uh, carbon production technology in my eyes with it coming out of the mold and then immediately just being ready, I mean, there's no clear coat on it. Does that make it more fragile? Do people have to be more careful around the bike? No, actually, uh, with the epoxy resin systems that we have uh, those days, they are uh, stable enough to, um, yeah, to stay in our environment and uh, do not actually, uh, yeah, degrade or or be. Uh, be worse uh, mechanically over time. I actually now uh, looking at those products for quite a while, also being in use, uh, especially also now with the T-Machine SLR, we have used the bike in World Tour racing in this environment. And uh, actually the frame after a couple of months in the Pro Peloton looks actually better. So there is less uh, scratches visible. Um, because the surface is a little bit harder than what you typically know from a painted frame. I guess I'm curious, I mean, what are the advantages of that design? I mean, not only for, I mean, I'm sure it saves weight, right? Because you're not putting on clear coat. Uh, but what are the other advantages of building it the way that you're building it in terms of ride quality, not necessarily in terms of processing and manufacturing, but in terms of something that the rider will actually feel? It's actually mainly the weight. If we are, uh, yeah, if we really bring it down to the performance numbers, that is also due to the fact that we want every team machine SLR to ride the same way. So in terms of stiffness, uh, whether you buy the base model, which is the team team machine SLR or the team machine SLR one or the team machine SLR MPC, they all have the same um, stiffnesses for a given frame size. 
So I would say the right quality as such, um, yeah, that is actually pretty much the same. But in the end, of course, it's a weight saving because there's no, that the obvious one is that you save the finishing uh, clear coat material. There is uh, another obvious one based on what I said is that you save material that you need for uh, connections. And probably the underlaying third aspect that makes you, um, makes you makes your frame lighter is that basically in order to get the frame out of the mold um, perfectly, we, knew, we need to be super, super accurate with the layup. So every ply that we put in the mold needs to be there really at the millimeter. And this allows us to have less safety margin because in traditional manufacturing, I would say we rather talk about two to three millimeter in terms of um, carbon patches that we put in the mold and accuracy. So overall, we have to build in some safety in terms of overlaps, which is also weight. So to give you an idea on a, a masterpiece SLR frame set, you save 200 grams over the traditional manufactured uh, frame set. So this is, a, this is a pretty significant weight savings. And it feels like, I mean, is this a handmade process? Do people have to hand, hand lay the carbon in the mold before it goes in to, to cure? Yes, it's entirely handmade. And actually, you need very good hands to do that. And uh, yeah, it's really, I would say, uh, the best trained people and uh, that also makes the production very slow. Slow in a way of that all the energy from the worker goes in the precision of the, the preform or the molding. And then of course there is a saving in the end in the finishing because um, if we look at traditional manufacturing, it's about a 50-50 uh, split between, um, let's say, making the carbon structure and then finishing it, finishing the surface and bonding. So. On one hand, you invest time in the accuracy, and on the other hand, of course, you save a lot of time because you don't have to do finish. But it means you need to like black frames. <laughs> um, I'm curious if, you know, is the Team Machine SLR01, for example, is that also created as a monocoque frame? All our 01 level frames, they are made out of three pieces. So. You typically have connections at the chain stays and where the seat stays um, connect to the main frame. So basically there's one part that forms the front triangle and then you have a left and a right side on, on the rear triangle. I think that's pretty much how the traditional frames are made uh, today. And, it, you know, you said that the the masterpiece, will they'll have the same general ride quality as as the others in the slr lineup how does that design change between you know doing the three-piece slr01 for example and the masterpiece which is one piece was there extra engineering that had to go into that to make sure that the ride characteristics were consistent uh between this one piece frame on the masterpiece and the three-piece construction on the on the slr01 for example yeah, the entire uh, carbon layup book. This is basically the description of uh, the carbon patches that you use for a frame. is completely different because the whole manufacturing process is really from the from the get go is is different. Um, 
we, yeah, as I mentioned, we use um, more precise plies, we use uh, even different materials, but nevertheless, in the end, uh, what you measure in the lab as a frame stiffness is exactly the same between the O1 and the masterpiece. That's on purpose. And I want to talk. I want to talk more about that in just a minute, and just sort of the process that gets us there. But I want to continue to talk a little bit about the advantages of of the masterpiece. And one of them that you had mentioned earlier was there's actually um, there's a, there's a uh, an environmental aspect to this, right? There's less waste. Uh, created when you do it this way. How how does that work? What kind of uh, how does how does the masterpiece end up creating less excess waste than than any of the other frames? So there is one aspect that uh, having very precise plies, they are basically all uh, computer cut. You can optimize uh, from that area the waste, but the much more significant impact comes from all the production add material that you need to finish a frame. I mean, you, yeah, we can, we can say uh, finishing a frame is somewhere between 10 and 15 hours of someone working with materials and uh, maybe the easiest to imagine is um, sandpaper. And uh, there is quite a lot of this used. Then there is also multiple, I would say, uh, pre-coatings uh, done to fill small holes, to smoothen the frame. All of this material is uh, spray applied and then I would say 80% is sand down. So you actually save a lot of production material that is not used to make the frame, but to make it nice to make yeah, for the, for the painting. And from a manufacturing standpoint, that that's good for you, right? I mean, that seems to maybe cut down on costs or uh, make it a, a more efficient process, uh, streamlining it for you as a company. Yes. Yeah, I think uh, of course there is a there is a fact that we can only do this process in uh, in Europe, which uh, labor cost, of course, is significantly higher uh, as um, in Asia, where the traditional manufacturing is happening. So. Of course, in terms of production cost, we are still looking at a much higher cost making such a frame in Europe. Also because it takes uh, takes so long and it takes very experienced and very good uh, workers. Um, but I think that's an investment uh, we absolutely wanted to do. Because we also see this kind of as a, as a sign pole for how carbon production in the future could or should look like. Now, I don't know, does it take 10 years, does it take 20 years to get there with the traditional manufacturing? I think we will get there. I know how hard we have worked toward this uh, in the last 15 years. And uh, yeah, finally we got there, but uh, it's it's a long way, but uh, it's definitely worth the efforts in terms of, I would say, quality of the product, but then also all the quality for the working environment. I mean, if you don't have to do the sanding, the painting, all those things, it's also just be better for all the workers that um, yeah, have to do this labor. We're going to take a quick break here, Stifu, but when we come back, uh, I definitely want to talk more about the masterpiece, as well as, you know, sort of what, what you just mentioned and how this could dictate future construction of carbon frames. Uh, we're going to talk, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Stefan Christ from BMC. 
If you're enjoying this podcast, get yourself to ruler.cc and subscribe to the magazine. Beautiful photographs and design and the best cycling writing around. And while you're there, check out Ruler Live in London from the 3rd to the 5th of November. Featuring the world's best brands and on-stage guests, including Tom Bonin and Fabian Cancellara, Demi Vollering, Fred Wright, Kasia Niwadoma, Lachlan Morton, Kelsey Mitchell, Ed Clancy and many more. Tickets on sale now at ruler.cc. Welcome back to the Ruler Tech Podcast. I am your host, Dan Cavallari, still here in my garage in Colorado, and I am joined by Stefan Christ, head of R&D at BMC, and he's joining me from Switzerland. Are you in Grenchen today, by the way, or are you somewhere else? Yeah, no, I'm in beautiful Grenchen, where we just had the, the hour record uh, in the past weekend. Yeah. So. That was cool. Yeah, that was right across the street from the BMC uh, headquarters there, yeah? Correct. You can probably see it from your office. Yeah, it's 100 <laughs> meters just across yeah. the street. It's a very cool facility. Uh, I've been there uh, just once, and uh, there's a velodrome across the street. It's clear that you guys take every step of the R&D process very seriously uh, just based on the facility. And I mean, I've been to the Impact Lab, uh, the very cool little museum of all the bikes that you've worked on in the past. I'm I'm curious, you know, you, you've been there at BMC for quite a long time, and uh, you've seen the history of of frame manufacturing up until this point. And I think the masterpiece was probably informed by that history. Correct? Yeah. Look, when I when I started at BMC 15 years ago as a composite engineer, my very first job was solve production issues we had with a bike that was uh, yeah, I think it was already well known known back then. It was the BMC Pro Machine used also in uh, World Tour racing. This frame was made out of nine pieces that were then uh, bonded together. And um, it was quite a steep learning for me what it means um, in terms of traditional manufacturing, having um, those nine pieces, they made 12 uh, bonding locations each of them with the risk of someone sanding down on structural layers with painting over those uh, connection areas. So, um, yeah, of course, as I, as I came, um, let's say, from, from composite engineering background, to me it was, was very obvious that there was something that uh, should be done about this. Uh, and over the last years, um, yeah, we have reduced number of parts. That's definitely one thing uh, coming from nine to five uh, down to three and now to one. I don't think it will get any any less, I don't hope. Um, but it's clear the, the saving just from manufacturing uh, risk is huge if you don't have to do any sanding on a, on a carbon structure. So this definitely yeah, is, is linked to my personal history, but also to the ambition of the company of uh, yeah, making the best carbon frames uh, possible, very clearly. It's, it's funny to me because I think a lot of people, when they buy a carbon frame, they're very careful around it. And, you know, it, it's, it's something that we treat with exceptional care. And, you know, I've been to a lot of manufacturing facilities now, and it's, it's almost jarring to see somebody sitting there sanding a carbon frame right in front of you your first impression is oh god please stop you know don't do that um it, it really hurts yeah, it really hurts yeah. to see <laughs> it also hurts to see what you do with a material that is actually 
really very expensive. I mean, I think this is something we we should also get better. In uh, yeah, at least when we use those materials, try to try to make the the best out of it. And I think we all, as an industry, we get uh, we got much much better over the past fifteen years. And uh, yeah, we will keep uh, making frames better. This is clearly a ambition and, and so i want to talk in just a moment about how the development of the masterpiece over time has informed you know manufacturing in other bikes uh, that that bmc puts out but i'm curious before we jump into that masterpiece the first masterpiece was a road machine correct yeah it was uh, based on the the current uh, road machine design and uh, the main motivation uh, to do that was actually we first wanted to let's say, prove the manufacturing method without the immediate pressure of highest uh, performance. And uh, for those that followed this, they have seen we never really made big statements about the performance of the Rogue Machine masterpiece. But actually the frame was uh, yeah, was lighter than the T-Machine SLR, but it was not part of this first uh, story. And now is the second wave very clearly we wanted to just uh, make a statement in terms of performance and I think today where we are in terms of uh, balance of uh, great acceleration through the stiffness and super light weight and compliance it's really kind of a benchmark uh, product. Mm -hmm. Yeah and that was actually going to be my question was why start with the road machine and it makes a lot of sense because I think generally pro riders in you know at the world tour level and up, up at those levels they don't like to be guinea pigs uh and they they like to be riding proven technology and so that seems like a smart way to do it is start with the road machine prove that you can do it prove that it's it's an incredible technology and then translate that to the team machine which is exactly what you did this past uh, few months um and you can see the results of that uh, on the bmc website it's just both bikes are just stunning uh, but you can see that the, the team machine definitely has a more aggressive riding position, whereas the road machine is a little bit more slack. Um, and so basically, no matter what kind of rider you are, you're going to get the masterpiece treatment, which is actually kind of a neat thing to think about. Um, but let's talk about other bikes. You know, the masterpiece process and, and all of the engineering and development that you've done to get the masterpiece to this uh, halo level, this incredible level of pushing the technology of how we make frames how does that tra translate into what BMC plans for the for future bikes or for current bikes that were just launched? Has that changed uh, the way you manufacture your other bikes? Has it changed the way layups work or anything to that effect? Yeah, I would say there is a lot of learnings that translate. Even if the basic manufacturing method is, uh, is different, especially when it comes to how we organize plies within the stack of things, also how we shape plies, this has changed a lot in the last uh, five years, not only since we know uh, and are working on masterpiece, but in general, um, yeah, there's just more accuracy that goes into those frames. I think it's very obvious also if you buy, um, let's say from BMC an one product that has uh, no color painting on it and you look at the fiber structure today and you compare it what you got uh, 10 years ago there is significant improvements in terms of fiber layup accuracy in terms of uh, oversanding areas and 
very clearly the learnings from Masterpiece, they already translate into our current products and, and they will keep doing this, uh, I think, for quite a while. Can you talk a little bit about layups? I think there's a common misconception that, you know, the carbon frames just come in these one-piece tubes, uh, but there's actually quite a lot more to it. There's layers of carbon stacked on top of each other, which all serve a different purpose. Can you talk a little bit about what that looks like for somebody who's never seen the manufacturing process up close? Yeah, in general, carbon fibers, as the name already says, is basically just a fiber string. And if you think about the fiber um it's very good when you pull it because then it's kind of uh, strong and all you all you face is the elasticity of the material. But as soon as you push a fiber or you apply uh, a load sideways on it, you get almost zero structural um, yeah functionality. So that explains already that to make uh, a frame. With, which has quite complex uh, load cases if you want to cover everything and all the riding situations that you always need fibers in multiple directions now of course the beauty of uh, of composites is that you can tailor really the fiber orientation for every single structural element if we for instance take a down tube which in, in many cases is, uh, sees a lot of torsional load, you would see more uh, 45 degree or angled uh, fiber amount as on a top tube, which is basically uh, tension and compression or push and pull. Um, the amount of zero degree fibers, for instance, is, is higher. And as you have... Uh, discrete uh, sheets or let's say thicknesses of one layer of carbon you have to stagger them on top of them and uh, there's only a certain choice you have for instance if I want to get one um, millimeter of wall thickness it kind of defines that I can use uh, 12 for instance 12 layers of a certain thickness so I have to make a choice. I take uh, three in this direction, three in this direction, and the other six in another direction. This is how you you tailor basically the the material properties to the to the load cases that the structural element sees, and that's the beauty of composites that you can do that. Where on a on a metal frame, typically material properties are uh, very similar in the different directions. Now, I'm curious if uh, it seems like most manufacturers have gone to a pre-preg uh, system where the, the resin is already part of the sheets when you get them. Um, is that the case with you as well, or do you have a special resin? Is there is there any science to the resin as well? I would say not in the specific case of what we use. I think in general the resins have improved a lot, but we use uh, pre-preg systems, I think, that are commercially available for everyone. Um, of course, not everyone buys uh, from the same suppliers. There are small differences, but uh, let's say looking from a bit uh, higher uh, to what we do, I would say in general, the industry is all working with the same uh, ingredients. It's epoxy preprex uh, if it's a thermoset uh, frame. And those materials, they are known for quite a while. Of course, they have been slightly optimized, but in the 
the major characteristics, they are the same as 10 or 20 years ago. I would be bummed if we didn't have at least a few minutes to talk about the Caius, which just came out. Tell me um, a little bit, then this is this is departing from the, the masterpiece talk we just had, but uh, the Caius to me is just such a cool bike. Uh, you know, and I was, the last time I was in Switzerland actually was at the launch of the original Urs, which was your first gravel bike. Tell me just briefly about the differences between the Urs and the Caius and what's what's special about the Caius? Why should people consider it over uh, another gravel bike? Caius is our first dedicated gravel race bike where the Urs or unrestricted uh, bike was more really, yeah, to, to be unrestricted wherever you ride. And uh, it was not, that does not automatically mean that you want to go fast. It just means that you want to have a very good time on the bike and therefore also the Urs is very capable I would say uh, yeah we call it internally we call it gravel plus because you can really do let's say easy mountain bike single trails you can do and they are even fun with such a bike um, you can also do them with Caius but you need to be a bit more uh, skilled and maybe a bit more in a racing mode to do it and uh yeah, we are super happy with the introduction of this bike because it's very close to our BMC racing DNA. Um, maybe for many people it would have been the obvious first gravel bike from BMC, but uh, there's a good reason why we decided to start with the unrestricted. And finally, now we have the, the gravel race bike. and yeah. So if you're looking to go fast and hard, Caius. If you're looking to explore and have have some fun on various bits of terrain, Urs is the way to go. Um, and you know, I can tell you, I've I've been on the Urs. I've followed Stifu on on various terrain around around Switzerland. He will tear your legs off. Be careful. Uh, Stifu is no joke. <laughs> you gotta you gotta be ready for a ride like that. By the way, I mentioned this the last time we talked. If uh, if anybody from BMC tells you that and you're on a ride and they tell you it's the last climb. It's not the last. There's no such thing as the last climb in Switzerland ever. <laughs> I learned that the hard way at the last BMC launch. <laughs> Steve, thanks for thanks for spending some time talking about the masterpiece and the Caius. And uh, for those of you listening, if you want to see these bikes, uh, head over to bmc-switzerland.com and you can see the masterpiece and the Caius right now uh, on the site. There's they're beautiful bikes, uh, and and if you're like me, you'll just end up drooling and staring at them for a long time and not doing any of your work for the day. Uh, but Stifu, thanks again for walking us through the uh, the masterpiece process. Uh, it's always a pleasure chatting with you. My pleasure. Thanks, Dan. And uh, for those of you listening, if you have questions about this episode of the Relure Tech Podcast, you can reach out to me directly at SlowGuyFastRide on Twitter, at SlowGuy on the Fast Ride on Instagram, or of course, you can reach out directly to Relure Magazine at Relure Magazine on all social media. And uh, again, BMC-Switzerland to get a sense of all the technology that's packed into both the masterpiece and the Caius. Uh, so you can spend your afternoon reading that instead of doing what you're supposed to be doing at work, which I'm sure is exactly where you are as you're listening to me today. Uh, Steve, thanks again for, list- for uh, joining me. And for those of you listening, thank you for listening to the Ruler Magazine Tech Podcast. We'll catch you on the next episode. That's the sound of another sale on Shopify in store. Shopify POS is everything you need to sell in person. From payments to inventory, Shopify unites your sales into one commerce platform. 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash retail 23. Shopify.com slash retail 23. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.